0: Welcome to another of the pandemic era Coot Street podcast, which Jonathan Estran and I have been doing since March now. Uh, this is Gary Wolf, and today I'm delighted to be able to talk to multiple award nominated uh, Benjamin Rosenbaum. How are you today, Ben? I'm good. It's good to I talk to you. We, we don't we don't hear uh, much about Switzerland. You're in Switzerland, and I'm guessing yep. that you're doing much better in terms of. The virus than we are here in the states. Well, it depends on whether you are
1: measuring the uh, <laughs> the absolute number or the first derivative. So Switzerland had a really good lockdown. The Swiss are very good at following rules. I'm So sure. and and they and they're not really uh, you know there isn't this um, this kind of extreme divisive partisan political divide. There's almost the opposite that all of the. All of the major parties from the socialists to the who are slightly left of Bernie to the SVP, which is basically Trumpist, are all Mm -hmm. in the parliament, like lead the parliament together. It's a permanent government of national unity. I think maybe unique in the world since the 60s. There's been the same four big parties in government. And so they and this is totally culturally Swiss. They. They they argue behind closed doors, but they present a united front, even though they're completely ideological opposed. When the <laughs> when the executive council announces things, so my so I think what happened is that early on the um the the people who were concerned about the virus sort of uh, carried the day, and so there was a pretty hard lockdown. Switzerland got it really bad in the beginning because we were right next to Italy, so there was very sure, high yeah. numbers. There was a massive lockdown. Everything went. Everybody's very good about obeying the rules. They all stayed inside and basically there was almost, it was like we were getting like seven cases a day in Switzerland for a long while. And so, you know, the absolute amount of, of Corona is very low. But then what happened is of course, that eventually the pro business people like sort of won the day, I think in those internal conversations. And so it's always right. been gradually opening up more and more. And now there, you know, there's a required on public transportation and in shops But schools are open, you know. I mean, a lot of. I mean, my my son's in uh, high school, and they've got uh, plastic walls between the seats, and they're supposed to wear masks in class, but not at sports class. Like in sports class, they're running around without masks. So if you watch the numbers, Switzerland is gradually creeping up. I mean, it's sort of a flattened curve Uh because the. The joke uh, uh, that I've heard about several countries, but Switzerland is one of those countries. The joke is that the Swiss were waiting for them to relax the, the two meter social distance so they could go back to their usual five meters. <laughs> I've heard that. But uh, anyway, so it's not. But I got to say, like, if you look at the aggregate numbers in the entire United States, like the new cases per day is actually trending downwards. And in Switzerland, it's trending upwards. So I don't know. We're, we've, got, we've grown
0: complacent, I think. I guess so. I guess the the question we ask on all of these things though is uh what 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 do you what happens to your reading habits during a, a thing like this do you some people I've talked to just found that for the first few weeks they couldn't concentrate on anything and and other people were just catching up on reading like wildfire are you anywhere in uh in in that spectrum in the beginning i was definitely
1: um you know, my productivity was completely destroyed. <laughs> I was a mess. Yeah. Um, I was, uh, yeah. I spent for the first couple of months, I, I was really struggling. I, you know, one thing I noticed is that uh, I'm very distractible, and I organize my 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 I, I inform my brain what it's supposed to be doing partly uh-huh. by geographical space. So, like, when I'm at work, I'm supposed to be working. I I like to write in cafes, and I like to, you know sleep in my bedroom, and y'all, we have a very small apartment, and all of a sudden we were confined. Everything was happening in a desk in my bedroom, and I was mm-hmm. just completely incapable of, of uh, figuring out what was going on. Um, and I, I had to sort of reinvent all those structures. I started writing in the garden in our backyard when we were still in lockdown. It was like far enough from the bedroom, you know, <laughs> like, okay, this is writing space. Um, and I think, you know, also uh, I did do a lot of reading um, uh, yeah. So, and I've I've sort of gradually recovered. I did a lot of playing board games. That was one nice thing was my kids were confined with me. So they were, they were forced to play board games with like me. Like Scrabble
0: games and that sort of thing, or?
1: What's that? No, we're very, like, my son and I are very, like, uh, uh, we like overly complicated board games. There's there's a famous YouTube clip where they're where they're making fun of a ridiculously, I think it's an episode of Parks and Recreation or Community or something. They're making fun of some absurdly complicated board game. That's the kind okay. of board games we like. Um, we're currently designing one for fun that's uh, based on Shira, Shira and the princess of Power. It's an oh, yeah. asymmetrical strategy war game. Anyway, mm-hmm. we like games that take like five hours to play and have millions of pieces. Well, what about your reading, though? So I I um I, I now have gotten back to reading and uh, I think it's sort of an eclectic list. I don't know. I was just thinking uh, uh, and anticipating this question. I've been reading. I've been listening to your to this podcast, by the way. And so I <laughs> I, I, I was anticipating the question. And in fact, I it's I just went to go pick up to the bookstore uh, today to go pick up a copy of Gideon the Ninth that I'd ordered. And while I was there, I got Wolf Hall because everyone on your podcast keeps talking uh-huh. about it <laughs> so but um i've been reading a, a mix of things i mean uh, um some uh books by friends i really liked my sister rosa with uh justine Larbalestier's book uh-huh. and um i probably read this is how you lose the time war before the pandemic started but i it, it's still in my mind because i'm yeah. very excited about it and i'm currently reading um caldwell turnbull's the lesson mm-hmm. not sure that that's in the same category i've only met him once but i i, I i uh i like that book a lot it's it's very interesting it's it's the kind of uh, you know it's um sort of aliens invade the virgin islands but they invade earth and that's where they happen to end up for reasons that are gradually becoming clear i'm only in the middle Mm -hmm. of it but um you know one thing one one nice thing i could say about it is that I, i would read this book even if the aliens never showed up the characters are great and i'm you know
0: really really uh um uh very pulled into their world. Yeah, one of the um, things that I think it's it's a healthy thing that's happened in the last few years is that we're still getting alien invasion stories, and and for for like fifty years they were always landing in Washington or London. And now <laughs> Yeah. Now you've got uh, they're landing in Nigeria and Media Corifor and Todd Thompson. Now you're in the Virgin Islands. Finally, people are realizing maybe maybe the aliens are better tourists than we thought they were. <laughs> yeah, or maybe
1: maybe our uh, our um, very um, very strong ideas about which places are important or not necessarily <laughs> shared by <Exactly. laughs> by the rest of the universe. Um, yeah, no, I, I kind of I, I, I love that it's the Virgin Islands um, uh, because that it's just you know why not? That's where they that's where they showed up. Um, so um, yeah, I I've been enjoying some new things. I also went back. I've also been, I was went back and reread some things. I was just reading rereading Paul Parks' *A Princess of Romania*. Oh, which really? is a book I,
0: I really I love. Mean, I think that's a badly overlooked series. I yeah,
1: it's it's pretty amazing.
0: And I, I don't know,
1: there's, a, there's one bit that hasn't aged well, I think, which is that it does have that what's now become a trope. I don't know if it was a trope then, but it's now become an unfortunate trope, the sort of alternate history in which somehow there's no Native Americans. And that's a little a thumb and a sore wound i mean yeah, <laughs> if you're going con- to you're going to pick a group to have vanish in your alternate history i don't know if that's the right group but that that gla- i'm sure he'd do that differently today that glaring exception aside it's a, such an inventive um i mean i don't want to spoiler it cuz my son might listen to the podcast and then read the book but it's a it's such an inventive conceit such a such a, a fascinating it almost is. inversion of the portal
0: fantasy no i think uh, to it's, it's what it's related to what somebody once called biblio fantasies, you know, books. And this is, I hope this is not giving away anything, but basically books that take place in other books, more or less. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and it's just, I mean, it's,
1: I, you know, it's just, it's super inventive and also great characters. And the, and the thing I love is also the theme of transformation. I love this idea of characters who are, um, who are one thing and they're remembering being something else. And those two identities are kind of at war and they're kind of, somewhere on the slide between them i think that's a really evocative metaphor and also you know and and and, you know it's i mean at its best i feel like science fiction and fantasy is working on both levels like it works metaphorically and then it works like literally um and and that that does that really well but i just love i I kind of picked it up again because i really wanted to return to that sense that these characters are gradually realizing you know who else they are um And that that was really great. I went, I went back and read Dune. That's another, that was another pandemic reread. Um, before I realized that they'd announced the new movie. So that was kind of, um, serendipitous, but, uh, I've, I've been going back and reading a bunch of stuff because I sort of want to turn my, my son as a science fiction reader and he's 16. So, you know, a lot of stuff for the last few years, I've been going back and rereading things to turn him onto 16 is almost too old. He doesn't I don't need to vet it anymore. But, you know, just to see if I if it's if I still want to recommend it or not. And it's been interesting what holds up and what doesn't. Like some things, uh, some things that I really loved, ha- you know, wh- what what Justine calls the suck fairy has visited them. Um, And other things uh, that I wouldn't have expected to be hip are, you know, I mean, uh, Star Tide Rising, I loved. I thought it was this, I just, which the idea of uplift and the is is such Mm -hmm. a neat and innovative idea. Now that I read it, you're expected to respect that ship as like kind of a, a heroic group and the culture of like, of like toxic, workplace sexual harassment yeah. that ship and everybody's complicity in it makes it impossible for me to sympathize with them They're I'm like, really? You just have dolphins harassing people. I mean, but everybody, dolphins. Yeah,
0: everybody, everybody, everybody listening to us is go, going to want to know how you think Dune holds up. Oh, so Dune is interesting because I feel like some of the problems,
1: you know, when you go back and revisit these books, some of the problems are deep seated. You know, I read foundation a, a reread foundation and uh, and it's um, there's like three women in foundation you <laughs> know there's like three pages on which women appear I think all of them are nameless and one is a sex worker and one is a nagging wife like it's 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 such a sexist book you'd have to invent like seven new levels of Bechtel test to capture how bad okay. it is and that's not something you could cure by having a a, a a brief conversation with Isaac Asimov right but I feel like Frank Herbert, the, the dune, dune holds up great as a book like exciting as a novel really interesting and you know a breath of fresh air in terms of like the agency and like i mean all of all the characters really you know they're really interesting jessica's really interesting the 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 bit with um the doctor is a little yellow peril but but the thing that's really terrible is that you know, I'm reading through this book, I get to like chapter 22, and I'm like, this is, pretty, this is holding up pretty well. And then you yeah. get to like, the when you first really meet Baron Harkonnen, and the major, like, the major ways that you are, that it is symbolically conveyed to you that he's evil, the major tells are that he's yeah. fat and gay. Like, that's decadence. Like, you know, he's fat and a a gay rapist. That's like, and it's, and it seems so unlike, you know, some kind of deep seated. I don't, it doesn't read like Herbert has, you know, deep seated issues with gay people or fat people that he's working through and can't
0: get beyond. It just seems like these are tropes. It was just know, in the, you know, exactly right. I think he picked it up and he has yeah. a you know, he has a Russian given name for that matter. So you're just <laughs> plugging in all kinds exactly, of Exactly, He's of out, exactly. He's just pulling out exactly you're just pulling like yes, exactly.
1: The Russia you know, right. Like Russian, gay, evil, decadent uh-huh. Like fat, you know, they're they're just they're just a, b- a box of tropes that are from old B movies that he's just rummaging through, and it it that's the one where I feel like if you could I could go back in time and you know hang out with Frank Herbert when he was drafting Dune and just be like you know. That gets really old. That <laughs> doesn't age well. Pick something else. It doesn't seem like it would be so hard to pivot, you know. So it just that's that's a that's an unfortunate thing. But as it generally, the book holds up really well. And I read a really interesting Twitter thread. I don't know who by um, about, but somebody talking about how. Uh, a book by a, a scholar of Middle Eastern ancestry who is talking about how it isn't actually an Orientalist white savior narrative. It's really a deconstruction of an Orientalist white savior narrative. Like it's especially once you get past the first book. Like okay, like we're set up to believe this is Lawrence of Arabia and he's coming to redeem the natives and whatever. But all of that is like complicated and overturned. And you find out the natives are hipper to the, what's going on ecologically. And that all the mystical stuff is actually installed by the colonialists on purpose to confuse them. And pretty soon they rebel against it. And indeed, Maadib can't, you know, Paul can't control what he's created and he's not the hero savior.
0: And, you know, so yeah, it's- yeah, uh, it was clear, especially in Doom, in the first two sequels, at least, that yeah. he wanted that, that he wanted us to know that all that material, uh, all that critical material, all that uh, anti-colonial material was in the original Doom, But he unpacks it,
1: yeah. especially yeah. in the
0: second volume, and I, yeah. I, I, that, which is one of the reasons I hope that uh, Denny Villeneuve or whoever is making mm-hmm. the movie, I hope they read past the first volume. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> yeah, me too.
1: But, but it yeah, I, I, it, I think it holds up. I, I didn't read all the, I mean, I think I got to God Emperor of Dune when I was well, a kid yeah. and I don't think I read past that, but, but um, uh, yeah, it, it, did. it held up quite well.
0: <laughs> Are there any uh, things of your own that you've, uh, that you want to tell us about? Well, I have some, um, I have had a, a few stories out this year, which is,
1: oh. which is good. Cause I, I had a bit of a drought while I was working on a novel for a long time, but I had a couple of things out in Lightspeed. Um, one was a reprint of a story called A Siege of Cranes that I wrote 19 years ago. Mm-hmm. Um, I know that because my daughter just went to college and I wrote it on paternity leave. And then I wrote a response. Uh, you know, it's it's a it's a there's a character and there's an antagonist, the the witch. And so I wrote another story now called All All Those Guardians of Order and Clarity. None of them can abide a free witch, which is from the witch's perspective, from the, the villain of the first. And it's her it's her retelling of the story. So in part, Um So that was fun. It was fun to revisit something from a long time ago and and reboot it. Um, And I had a story in Asimov, bereft I come to a nameless world. Um, And then I've got the the novel, The Unraveling, which is a sort of far, very far future comedy of manners, which uh, re... Um, <laughs> I wrote a book with no men or women in it. <laughs> oh, <really>? oh. <laughs> Those genders aren't around anymore. Um, it, it, <laughs> and, uh, and everybody has, you know, that the, one of the, one of the protagonist problems is that they are in a family which only has nine parents. And so that's kind of a bit of a social, uh, pr- they're kind of marginal because really you should have more parents than that if you have a child. Hmm. Um, and so on and so forth. I just spun spend, the dials on all the things I could time
0: think worrying of. worrying about. Worrying about pronouns in, in a book with no genders. Oh my god, so much time! I, I, I,
1: I, could. You, you, I would need more than ten minutes for the. You want a whole other? <laughs> I need a whole other episode of a podcast for all the, all the, all the things I discovered. Um, I mean, very briefly, I originally naively was like, well, it doesn't really matter. I will just use he and she and arbitrarily assign them to genders, and that won't uh-huh. influence the way people read it as long as they understand that you know these are different genders. Ha ha. <laughs> at some point i did the exercise of rewriting the tinkering with the manuscript so that i could compile it into two versions one using he and she and the other using she and he and i realized that it totally changed the meaning of everything like all all, all kinds of scenes read totally differently when you flip the pronouns and then eventually i was sort of struggling with this and uh liz Gorinsky, my editor at erwan and good friend talked me into being brave enough to just use neo-pronouns because i think she you know this is this is sort of this is sort of funny because you expect the writer to have the sort of grand avant-garde vision and the editor right. to be like well that's not commercial enough but in this case i was like well that can well anyone buy a book with those pronouns and she was like you know <laughs> well. this book wants to be uh, that book and I, I think she was right so so now it does not have any he or she either
0: well, let's look forward to it. And congratulations on being, I guess, one of the first titles uh, to come from from Liz's new press from Arrowhead. Yes, I think it's one of the first. I'm not
1: sure they're getting sort of shuffled around. It, it's getting it got postponed. It was going to be out this summer. or I think now it's, it's oh, everything slid. Uh, yes, because of uh, our friend the virus. But um, yeah, I think it was originally one of the first four to be announced. And I think it's, it's probably still in the first. Eight or something. Okay. Um, but yeah, it's great. And I was on a conference call with all of the other Arrow on books people, and they're all great.
0: It's really, I
1: mean, there was be, like a, a different, you were all doing the short readings. and Yeah, um,
0: one of the more, it's one of the more exciting launches of the science fiction and fantasy imprint in, in the last several years. Yeah. We're all looking forward to it. But we're over our time, as I, I knew we would be. <laughs> So, again, I want to uh, say thanks. This is the Good Street Podcast with Gary Wolf talking to Ben Rosenbaum, and thanks for joining us. It was my pleasure.